The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 402 for February 16th, 2014. Changes on the way for wireless charging, Verizon responding to the competition with more everything plans, and changes coming for Skype users to keep everything in sync. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application. Available now for Android, the iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, before we jump into the news, a brief moment about something uh, I did this week that I think is going to actually change uh, my interaction with mobile devices for a while. Um, I wasn't feeling all that well, and so I wanted to get some rest, but I needed to make sure that I still got phone calls if they came through. So I turned off all audible and vibrating email notifications on both my iPhone and my iPad. And it sounds like something just obviously mundane and small, but uh, this totally changed uh, for the rest of the week how I interacted with my devices in a very, very good way. And I it, I wanted to talk about it briefly because I think it's something that uh, I know I've always done. I've always had email come through on you know for notifications and just wanted to share the experience. And one thing I will say, is that over the course of the last couple of weeks, um, I found that, uh, or maybe I guess the last couple of months, I found that the amount of email that I've got has really increased significantly and to the point where it's just, it's it feels like it's almost a constant uh, notification. And it's really at that point becomes something that is is not really a notification anymore if it's just constantly bothering you. So turning that off uh, really allowed me then to prioritize when I was going to be checking um, the, the mail and, and to see when I was going to be getting things. Now, what I didn't turn off is the screen. So the screen still turns on every time an email comes in. Uh, but that's a little bit different because that's that's good to have if, I've, if I want to see a notification that comes in on the device. I can easily just have the screen light up and show me that, but it's not constantly distracting me and breaking concentration, which is what I felt like was happening. So it's, 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 it's a small thing, but it really, I think, is going to change the way, like I said, that my, I, I interact with my phone, uh, especially for, uh, for work-related things. No, and it's not a small thing. Actually, it's a very big thing because you you really are doing a big change. And and having the screen light up, like you said, that is because if you're in a spot where you can see the phone sitting there, generally you're kind of doing something where it's maybe not going to be so bothersome, but it's easy to just flip the phone upside down. Right, exactly, exactly. And that was, you know, that was the other part is that I, you know, I usually take it with to what, you know, a lunch meeting or whatever it is. And, you know, you pull it out of your pocket, you'll put it on the uh, on the counter or whatever. But inevitably, if you've got a vibration alert, it's constantly making noise. And, and it's it's a really big distraction. So it's easy to just, you know, turn that over and, and to your point, and you can't see it then and that works out pretty well. Exactly. And, you know, they, they, they pretty much are distracting. And if you're getting constant email like that, and you, you, you know, you'd mentioned this a few weeks ago that it was kind of getting to the point where it's getting just almost constant. So it's, you know, you can't get anything done then really, because, uh, you know, studies have shown that it really does distract you from what you're doing. If you're trying to get something done, if the thing is constantly going off, I actually had that uh, happen today. Um, I was actually scanning a whole bunch of stuff through a a scanner and it kept emailing me the PDFs over and over again. And every time the thing chimed and vibrated, I'm like, Oh, what, what, what was I doing again? And it's just one of those things where you, you, it's hard to kind of shut off that uh, reaction to it. Uh, especially if you're in a point where you don't get that many emails a day. You know, for me, I, you know, get a few of them and usually they're kind of important. So that's when you have email notification. But in like your case, if you're getting tons of them all day long. You just have to just check on your time and not on, on the, uh, the time that the device is alerting you. 
Well, and that's exactly right. I mean, and, and it's, you know, I do have a lot of time sensitive stuff and stuff that needs to be handled. But um, kind of what I realized, and this, this was the epiphany, was that it's not that I'm not going to get to them um, quickly. I'm just not going to get to them the instant they come in, which is actually making me more productive if I'm the one who's managing those on my schedule. And so um, I'm, you know, like most people, I look at my phone at least probably, um, I don't know, five, six times an hour, right? At, at the very least. Um, and so it's not like it, I'm going to go all that long without between emails, like 10 minutes maybe, uh, you know, and, and at that case, point, it's it's going to be, I'm going to see stuff that's come in, batch, you know, triage everything, if you will, and uh, and then move on. And so um, and it's it's unfortunate that it has to come to that. But in some cases, that's that's just what you have to do. Absolutely. And, and you know what you have to do, then kind of manage the people you contact with. And if there's something that absolutely needs immediate attention to not rely on email, but to then rely on iMessage or an SMS. Yep, exactly. And that's kind of what we've, uh, what I've had, you know, the people that I, I communicate with critically, it's turned into, okay, so if we are, if there's something that is happening in real time that needs to be addressed, that's when we switch over to, to text messaging and to the group messaging functions of iOS. And that's, you know, works out really, really well. And so not to, again, to your point, not to rely on messages. And, and it's not just from people. I mean, it's from automated systems as well. I mean, it's, I've, I've got a lot of things that come through in batches. And so I'll get 20, 30 emails a clip and it's just, you know, and it just goes for, you know, and it just doesn't make any sense to have that kind of stuff happening. And, and that happens multiple times a day for me. And so that can be incredibly distracting. Yeah. And all those kind of uh, server messages that I get, you know, I get all kinds of automated reports from the servers and I always have those filtered into a secondary folder that I don't see notifications on, on any of the iOS devices because yeah, that would drive me insane. Yeah, and that would be another reason to, or another way to deal with that is to to do that filtering. Um, you know, the issue is that, of course, those actually are kind of important. And um, what I found is that if I do automatic filtering on a device, I don't always go in and check those until I'm back at the desktop. And there's big swaths, or be, even chunks, or full days where I'm not at a computer. Um, it's just I'll I'll be out and doing things, and so I can't I can't re- trust myself to go back in and check those different things and understand that I would need to go in and see those because sometimes the automated things are actually important. So um, either way, it's it was just an interesting thing. I wanted to bring it up before we jumped into the news because I thought it was a very interesting uh, realization that I had. And so if you're someone who is uh, constantly being bombarded by your notifications and let us know how you deal with it. And uh, if you've decided to just suck it up and uh, don't do anything and just let your pocket vibrate all the time, or if you've turned them all off and you've got some other way that you're handling it, would love to hear from you as well. There's also a side effect uh, benefit to this is that your battery life will be much better. And if you actually turned your screen off as well, it'd even be even better yet. But even that vi- uh, running the vibrate motor and the sound that does use power. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, furthermore, you're turning it on for every single email because it vibrates, you pull it out of your pocket and you deal with it. Um, or at least I was. And so you've got the number of times, you know, you're pushing the buttons and typing in the codes and all these this type of stuff. You got tons of stuff that's going on. So either way, interesting uh, side note there for myself from uh, just anecdotally from this week. Well, first up in the news, changes on the way for the wireless charging industry. The Power Matters Alliance and the Alliance for Wireless Power on Tuesday announcing that they'll be working together to make their wireless charging standards compatible. Both groups will work together for an API for network management services. This is great news for consumers, which will eventually benefit from a wider range of devices that will work together with the combined standard. Note that the wireless 
Wireless Power Consortium and its Qi standard now is uh, the other choice for the standards out there. So uh, the these two that uh, joined this week, Power Matters and Alliance for Wireless Power, and the Power Consortium's Qi technology all use magnetic induction as an, uh, to pass the electric charge from a pad to an equipped device. So let's ask ourselves a question here. How do we feel about wireless charging? Uh, you know, we're a couple years in on this. Um, you know, I guess that when it first came out, it was it was kind of neat, and we saw a few devices that had it, and a few more, I guess, today do, but it's not, it hasn't taken over, and it's not something you find in every single device that's been released. So is it a gimmick, or is it actually something that's useful, and it'll be part of our daily routines, say, five years from now? And I would argue uh, that it is, and it will be a big part of what we do. Uh, the plugging in of a device is, is not really a difficult thing, but at the same time, it's something that takes time and would be a lot easier, and I think a lot we would have a more more charged devices if we were able to just put it on a pad, uh, such as uh, what we're talking about here with one of these different companies. It's just a matter of getting it built into the actual hardware. Well, we, way back in the day, we had Blackberries with the uh, with the cradle, where it was a zero, you know, insertion force cradle, where you can just set it in there, and the contacts made contact to charge. I mean, that was kind of nearly a wireless style. I mean, it made contact, but you didn't have to plug a cable in like the you know the iPhone, iPad, and even micro USBs for a lot of uh, phones. Have you ever tried to unplug it by hand with one hand? <laughs> Uh, to get yeah. an iOS lightning connector out by hand, it's a, nearly impossible to do it one handed. And, you know, just trying to do that makes me think, boy, I could imagine if you were somewhat disabled, you would really have a hard time getting uh, power in and out. And I know micro USB isn't quite as uh, difficult, but it is it is tough still. And what you're talking about is, you know, setting a device that has contacts on the back of it onto a cradle that has contacts on it as well. Um, you know, you could take that in another direction as well and talk about what the a lot of laptops have today, especially the Apple laptops, where you've got a, a charger that has a magnet built into it. And that is uh, what aligns the contacts to do the passing of the, the current for the charging. And so that uh, is another way to do it. But I'm actually talking about a magnetic you know, a pad that you put this thing on and it charges directly on it. Yeah, just like the Palm uh, Touchstone here. I got a few of those for the touch pads and for the uh, the Palm Pre 2 that's here. So that those work really nice for charging those devices. And it's it's such a slick thing because, you know, that's where the phone goes and that's got, you know, it's, you know, charges right up and it's just, you just grab it and go. No, no time to unplug the cable. Yeah, it's a it's a thing that you see on Android devices specifically. Uh, Nokia has inserted it or included it into a number of its pieces of hardware as well today, and uh, so you know you you can you can start to see more devices with it. But until you get uh, you know full uh, say penetration or full market uh, share with this, where you've got the majority of devices, I think it's still going to be something that we're gonna we're gonna see. Uh, it's just not going to take off in the consumer space as quickly. No, it's a it's a great technology. I can't wait for it to be on everything. But boy, I I kind of don't see it coming from uh, Apple here anytime soon. You know, even if it was just again what they do with their laptops, right? Where all you have to do is you know you just take the phone and almost like hold it up to the cable and it just like clicks in and aligns. I mean, that would be something that would be nice and nice to do. But I know they're 
Uh, that's not necessarily in the plans with how the lightning connectors work and uh, not necessarily something that we should maybe expect uh, just based on what it is and that they do and how they design their products. But either way, um, you know, gimmick or actual product and uh, useful, uh, you know, feature in a device is the, the conversation and, and what we should be thinking about here as we move into the next couple of years. Well, Comcast on Thursday confirming plans to acquire Time Warner Cable in a stock deal valued at $45.2 billion. The deal has already been approved by the boards of directors for both companies. So pending regulatory approval, the merger will happen by the end of the year. Comcast has said that the agreement is a friendly stock-for-stock transaction in which Comcast will acquire 100% of Time Warmer's 284.9 million shares and outstanding uh, for shares of Comcast amounting to approximately $45.2 billion in equity value. Comcast and Time Warner have already or are already the top two cable companies in the U.S., so the total combined customer base um, of these two would bring it to over 30 million. Comcast uh, would be getting rid of about 3 million customers to other competitors as part of the deal. The company isn't expecting a regulatory hurdle. They say that uh, in the press release that the total, total number of subscribers in the U.S. after the merger will be about the same as the percentage after it uh, was after Comcast acquired AT&T Broadband in 2002 and Adelphia in 2006. So, uh, but still, we're talking about the number one cable company and the number two cable company. And so, you know, we saw this last year when uh, AT&T tried to acquire T-Mobile, uh, a little bit different in that they're, you know, we're talking about products that are, there's still kind of a, an open market for this here. You're not necessarily tied into one of these, but, you know, the cable, you know, it, the cable situation, the regulation that goes into this, um, it's still very confusing. And so it, it's hard to understand how this would even be thought, you know, could possibly be approved for the number one and number two cable carriers. Yeah, it's really strange. I, I mean, I, I saw so much, uh, you know, kind of negative press about it. But but realistically, I, I don't know how it will affect the end user other than the fact that it's just going to be such a, uh, a corporate powerhouse where they'll have leverage to uh, do even more lobbying to get even more laws changed in their favor. I mean, that's where I see the biggest issues coming from. And, and, you know, the ability to charge more, yes, yes and no, because it's really, they already have monopolies in every single market they're in. If, if Comcast is in a market, they basically have a monopoly on the, the you know, the, the TV and the internet. You know, there, there's the cable uh, satellite, I mean, the satellite, you know, for TV, but you really don't compete on the internet side of things. So, uh, you know, DSL, some areas have decent DSL, some places have files, but most of the country isn't. And, and really the vast majority get their, you know, internet connection from a cable connection. And that's where the conflict of interest really comes in. And I absolutely despise the fact that we have to get our internet service from a TV providing cable company. And, and still, I'm still fighting Netflix. Uh, you know, it works like crap. It, it barely works at all. Uh, even my Roku doesn't even play Netflix anymore. The connections uh, on the backside are so bad. I can load up on the Roku, Amazon Prime, HD streaming starts instantly in super duper high def or whatever it's coming at. And Netflix it just sits there, sits there and buffers for 10 to 15 minutes and then plays for about three and then stops again for 15. So it's just, uh, th this is what, you know, I've been afraid of and it's probably only going to get worse. 
Yeah, and that's that's really not good. And, and you know, we've heard, and you and I have talked about this, the idea of you know further increasing the speeds, and, and this is something Comcast uh, we I think is going to happen here for those that are in their their faster areas. You are now at fifty megabits per second uh, down and ten up, and they're talking about doubling that, so hundred down and twenty up, and that would be fantastic, obviously. However, when you've got a situation like what Joey's talking about, it doesn't matter. It's not like we're you know you need all fifty megabits to handle a Netflix. Link. You need a couple. I mean, it's it's really not that big of a deal. So it's it's not his connection because I know Joey's connection is quite solid. It's it's just one of those things that is happening, like he says, on the back end, and that's really frustrating. And this is not this is not going to help that. And I think that's what most people are concerned about is that as a consumer, uh, how is this going to impact us? Maybe a little bit of pricing changes, but um, you know, further than that, it's really what are we talking about here for the level of service that we're getting, the types of things that they're going to be able to control and change. Just because, because they are the big guys out there and because there's nothing else that you can do. Because if you want TV service and you want cable internet service, you have to go with them. There's, it's not like you can choose, uh, you know, three other different carriers that are out there like you can on the cellular side. So uh, either way, it's, um, I think it is going to be impactful. And uh, so we're going to be watching this one very closely, not wireless related, but certainly uh, from, you know, the, the, the sphere of things that we talk about, very interesting to us. Well, what I kind of foresee, and we, you know, we talked about this actually a few weeks ago, but you know, this kind of real big monopoly, this kind of, you know, screwing the customer mentality here, all this is going to do is open up the ability for a wireless carrier or something new to, to undercut them uh, on the wireless side and just, you know, change the whole market around. And this is where, you know, it, we're not there yet, but you know, five to six years will probably be to that level where the technology can be, you know, fast enough for a, a vast majority of the people to get wireless broadband over something like, you know, LTE advanced or, or something like that, where we can maybe get away from these, uh, you know, mon- monopolistic, uh, you know, content media providing companies. And if there's a way that you can do it that is not so reliant on the existing legacy spectrum that's out there, that's going to be even better. So let's talk about spectrum that's available a little bit higher up and doesn't make sense for mobile devices. But if you're talking about a fixed connection where you can put an antenna by a window or on your roof or something like that, and it can be a line of sight or even just just being outside is going to help it. And you could have a great connection back to uh, wherever the tower is for that. And if they can place those accordingly in uh, great positions, then uh, you're not going to have many issues with that. So yeah, it is going to be possible. It's just a matter of if there's going to be someone who's going to be willing to do it, invest the infrastructure, cost for the infrastructure, that is, and uh, take it from there. So a lot of different questions that are up here and a lot of things that I think are are uh, really interesting for consumers to consider as uh, we move into uh, what's going to be an interesting few months here to uh, go through the regulatory approvals for both of these companies. Well, four U.S. senators on Thursday introduced a bill that would force handset makers to include a kill switch in all of their devices. It was led by Senator Senator Amy Klobuchar and the Smartphone Theft Prevention Act is what it's called, and it would put forward a, a requirement for all phones sold in the U.S. to include free-to-use kill switches that would allow device owners to wipe the personal data off their phone, render the phone permanently inoperable to anyone but the owner, and prevent it from being reactivated on the network by anyone but the owner. The legislation 
Oregon follows a similar bill introduced in California last week. According to Klobuchar, the new bill has wide support from law enforcement officials. Verizon this week announcing new rate plans in response to changes made recently by its rivals. The new plans are dubbed More Everything and increase the data allotments of certain tiers and drop the price for some edge plans. All Edge customers now choosing plans up to 8 gigabytes will see a price reduction of $10 per month, and those on 10 gigabyte plans or higher will now see a $20 reduction per month. Verizon is also increasing the data allotments of three of its plans, now offering 1 gigabyte of data for $40, that was previously 50, 2 gigs for $60, excuse me, $50, previously 60, and 3 gigabytes for $60, previously not a tier available. And uh, so this is uh, all available immediately and good news for those that are on individual plans. Now I saw this and immediately said, okay, maybe I should consider doing something like this, but um, I'm on an eight gig plan right now. And I think it's $90 a month for that amount of data. And so um, there's no changes for me anywhere. There's nothing that I can take advantage of. Uh, You know, unfortunately, I think the, um, you know, the folks that are uh, really able to, to do well with these are those that are getting a, you know, a new iPhone out there or a new Android phone or whatever it is and you want to get um you know the unlimited plan and uh you want to do enough you want to have make sure you have enough data it's easy now to choose that three gig tier and you're only at 100 bucks a month and i think that's the point right now where we feel comfortable with our cell phone bills not necessarily uh what everyone wants to do but if you're willing to go with uh, a verizon if you will then you know 100 bucks for the 40 dollars for unlimited voice and data or voice and text and then three gigs for another 60 bucks this all kind of makes sense and so i do like this um as a as options here for stuff that is much better than what we had before and honestly this is uh well i shouldn't say much better but it's 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 enough to entice someone to make a change if they were on a previous plan that maybe they didn't have quite as much data with sprint this week reported another down quarter uh and another down year for overall records um the number three tiered one or tier one carrier posted a q4 2013 loss of 576 million dollars although that improved 22 percent year over year on revenues of 7.2 billion dollars sprint added a total of 682,000 net customers in the quarter although only 58,000 were postpaid ARPU, or average revenue per user, was the highest ever at $64.07. For the year, it sold a total of 20.5 million smartphones and a record 95% of quarterly postpaid handset sales were smartphones. Sprint ended the year with 53.9 million customers, that's a record, with over 30 million on the postpaid side. Now, on the network stuff, Sprint claims to have over 200 million people now covered by its LTE network, and Sprint Spark is now available in 14 of its largest U.S. cities. It says that 33,000 towers have been upgraded with network vision improvements, an increase of uh, of 24,000 in the last year. And they, they also say that Spark will make its way to 100 cities over the next three years. T-Mobile on Friday announcing that it is beginning uh, to upgrade its customers on early upgrade programs to more than twice per year. According to T-Mobile, whenever you're ready to upgrade, trade in your device and T-Mobile will pay the remaining device payments up to a total of 50% of the device cost. There's no waiting period or the limit of times that you can upgrade per year. The only requirement is that customers pay off half of the cost of their phone before upgrading. Many phones carry a retail price of $600 or more. And of course, T-Mobile's jump plans carry a $10 premium over their regular pricing plans. The more frequent upgrades mirror those offered under the Verizon's Edge plan. So good
good news if you're someone who likes to upgrade your phone often t-mobile offering a way that you can do it more often than the rest it's kind of funny now that these plans are finally available the, the phones have kind of slowed down the development so now it's not so desirable to update your phone constantly now so it's uh, they've come a little late here yeah, well, either way, I think, you know, if you're someone who is upgrading every two years before, and even if you can do it every year, uh, this is going to be a good option for you, uh, you know, if you want to pay the extra money to be able to do that. Uh, still keep in mind that if you want to go with a prepaid service, you can probably still save money over what they're talking about with one of these plans if you just go and buy it outright and then uh, sell the old device that you had and go with one of the plans. That's probably at least 25% cheaper than the, the plans that they have with this premium uh, for, the, uh, for the jump plan that they have. So just keep that in mind if you're looking uh, for the best way to save a little bit of money. Freedom Pop on Monday announcing a new plan that undercuts prior offerings and really all other competition. The new plan is compatible with all Freedom Pop phones and offers unlimited voice and messaging for only $5 a month. Freedom Pop uses Sprint's network, so all calls are sent over uh, that network. But the difference is they do all of it over voice over IP. So Freedom Pop uh, will give you unlimited voice and text uh, for that five bucks a month. Uh, if you're looking to pay nothing, Freedom Pop will offer you 200 voice minutes, 500 texts, and 500 megs of data for free every month. Though don't look for the latest phones at that price point as the Samsung Galaxy S2 was just released as an offering on the Freedom Pop network that is being sold for $170. Jumping into device news, photos were released this week showing the casing of what might be the next iPhone from a well-known Apple product leaker named Sony Dickinson. Dickinson uh, is uh, on Wednesday posted a series of images from his Twitter account. He didn't share any information, although labeled them only as teasers. The images depict a device that is thinner than the current generation of iPhone and trims down the bezel significantly. The overall design is much like that of the current iPad Air iPad mini rumors currently have the new iPhone being released as early as this summer obviously not very easy to talk about pictures on a podcast but either way some neat uh, renderings uh, or not even they weren't rendering sorry they were neat pictures that we saw of the casings showing just what could be on tap here for Apple with the next version of the phone uh, obviously we're talking about something that is uh, you know thinner lighter all of the above and this is what happens every single year so no surprises here it was just great to see what we could be talking about here in the next couple of months. Nokia on Wednesday announcing the Lumia Icon, a Windows phone for Verizon Wireless. The most interesting feature is the Icon's 20 megapixel pure view sensor with optical image stabilization and Zeiss optics. According to Nokia, the Icon lets users zoom in up to three times while shooting video and still maintain 1080p HD resolution. The camera features uh, dual LED flashes and Nokia's range of imaging applications. Other specs include a 5-inch 1080p HD clear black display, support for Verizon's 4G LTE network and HSPA Plus networks around the world. NFC and wireless charging are built in as is a 2420 milliamp hour battery. The Icon runs on a 2.2 gigahertz quad-core Qualcomm Snapdragon 800 processor. It's got 2 gigs of RAM and 32 gigs of storage. will be available online and in stores beginning on the 20th of the month for $200 with a new two-year agreement. In a report this week by the Wall Street Journal, Nokia is planning to announce a smartphone later this month running Google's Android. The device is already under development. Um, 
Uh, when was already in development, when Microsoft made its bid to buy Nokia's handset business, Nokia's Android handset will target emerging markets and will be modified to run a version of Android that will not feature the Google Play Store. Rather, Nokia's own application store and applications such as Here Maps and Mix Radio. The device is expected to be officially announced at the Mobile World Congress trade show in Barcelona here coming up in just a couple of days. LG this week introducing the G Pro 2, an Android smartphone with a 5-inch 1080p display. The device has a 13 megapixel camera with 120 frames per second slow-mo video and 4K Ultra HD video shooting. The device is powered by a 2.26 gigahertz quad-core Snapdragon processor with 3 gigs of RAM and ships in either 16 or 32 gigs of uh, internal storage. Uh, it supports LTE networks and has a 3200 milliamp hour battery and a 1 watt, ampl- 1 watt amplifier powering the speaker for louder ringtones and speakerphone performance. Availability and pricing have yet to be determined. And after eight months since the official release of the Nexus 7, the device is finally available for Verizon Wireless. Uh, Verizon's Nexus 7 features the same specs as the tablet in, in the previous releases. It's got a 1920 by 1200 pixel resolution 7-inch display, 1.5 gigahertz quad-core processor, 2 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of storage, and a 5 megapixel rear camera. The device is $350 for an unlocked model or $250 if you sign a two-year agreement. BlackBerry this week updated BBM for Android and iOS to version 2.0, bringing BBM Voice and BBM Channels to the app. Uh, The first of these allows users to make free calls to other BBM users via Wi-Fi or cellular networks. BBM Channels is a social network that allows users to subscribe to channels that they find interesting. Skype Thursday announced uh, improvements alongside of uh, other things that they were talking about to its mobile applications that address common customer complaints. Skype will now reliably sync chat threads across multiple devices, including smartphones, tablets, and desktops. The service now offers synced red receipts as well, so users know their messages were read and delivered. The app is also uh, improved or has been improved so that it opens faster, resumes quicker, and conserves battery power better individual apps for windows android ios and blackberry will become available with their respective app stores and uh, so you can go and download them there finally in software google made a small update to its play music application available to android devices the new features include micro sd card support for offline music caching uh, on kitkat devices as well as other the ability to shuffle all songs from a single artist using all access. The app makes it easier to share links to songs, albums, or artists through social networks. Google Play Music is free to download and use, and all access costs $10 per month. A couple of questions and comments here this week. First up, we're going to hear a voicemail from Mel. Hey guys, it's Mel from the Midwest. Just listened to another great podcast. I think that was number 401. It was awesome. That young lady that uh, wanted to use her cell phone as a home phone I think you and I have talked about this before, and I'm actually calling you on Groove IP Lite from a Galaxy Nexus, uh, which does not have an active SIM in it, on my home Wi-Fi. And on Wi-Fi, it's been very reliable most of the time in a really good phone call. On the cellular network, almost never worthwhile. Uh, But Groove IP Lite is free, at least it was when I got it. If you wanted Groove IP, which is the one you could use to make calls on a cellular network, I think that was $4.99. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens in May, but I still use this for calls routinely. Have a great day. Looking forward to more great stuff from, uh, from the cellular uh, operation. Bye. Thanks very much for the voicemail, Mel. And you know what? That gave me a little inspiration. So let me play our next voicemail. 
And following Mel's voicemail, I decided it would be great to try it out myself. So this is Groove IP Lite calling in from the Nexus 4. Call quality, quite nice. Thanks for the recommendation, Mel. All right, so there you go. So yeah, Groove IP, actually the light version working very well, free version, and uh, I've got it installed now and uh, have been playing around with it a little bit. I, I don't actually get as many calls over Google Voice as I used to, so um, I, I haven't actually taken a call. I've just placed a couple, and it's actually worked out relatively well. So thanks, Mel, for uh, passing on the uh, you know the, um, the the voicemail here so we could hear exactly what it sounded like. was pretty impressed with that. Again, as long as you're over Wi-Fi, you've got low enough latency, so it should work out pretty well, uh, and thanks for passing that on as a an alternative for what you can use if you want to make voice calls over uh, the IP-based networks. Next up, a question from Dean. He says, hello, I love the show, and I listen to each episode, signing up for uh, the uh, to listen to it every week. I'm a techie, uh, but I can't figure out how to adjust the camera picture resolution on my new Motorola Ultra. Please help if, you, if possible. Keep up the great work, Dean. All right, so Dean, um, the Ultra has uh, the KitKat update. It got pushed out late last year, which means the camera settings are all on screen. So here's what you have to do. From the camera, hold your finger on the screen until the controls come up, then slide the three lines icon uh, for more options, and then up to picture size. So you can then choose what size of picture you'd like uh, the phone to take. It's a little clunky, but uh, uh, it took me a minute, but I figured it out. So you should be able to uh, do that, no problem. Like I said, hold your, your, your finger on the screen, then go up to the three lines, and then from there up to picture size, which is right in the middle, and then you can choose what you want to do. Hopefully that answers that for you so you can start taking pictures of whatever size you were looking to do. And finally, today is a comment from Ryan. He says, guys, on episode 400, you mentioned that iPhones and AT&T's 4G network tend to have better battery life than those on Verizon's 4G network. You commented uh, that this is especially true in areas where Verizon's got weak 4G signal strength. You also said that this is inherent to the CDMA technology uh, of Verizon's network compared to AT&T's. However, my understanding is that both 4G networks are, in fact, uh, running basically on the same technology. I think the statement would only be true when comparing iPhones on the 3G network also, you mentioned uh, Takatone in episode 401. I'm sure uh, that you're aware that Google is uh, stopping support for the XMPP in May. This will make all of these third-party solutions obsolete. Thanks for uh, your show, uh, Ryan. Uh, so regarding the battery life, Ryan, um, yeah, you're correct. The comment about G- uh, the GSM being nicer and IE AT&T phones being nicer on battery only relates to the 3G networks. LTE networks actually are affected in the exact same way as long as you've got the same signal strength on both. And then regarding the Google Voice stopping support, yes, we're well aware of this. Actually, we did talk about it, albeit briefly, in that show when we made the recommendation to use Takatone um, or Groove IP, as we just talked about here before. We've only got another couple of months of it. So, um, you know, use it for what it is, and then uh, hopefully we'll have the Hangout support available so that we can start using that to make our voice calls like we can over iOS on the Android side. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 206-203-3734. We'd love to hear anything that you have to say, questions or comments for us. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cell phone junkie.com.